Yes, and good morning to you. Well, when I came to church this morning, I had socks on, but I don't have them anymore because they're blessed off. Amen. Isn't God great? I tell you what, first off, could you give a round of applause of appreciation to our praise team? Amen. I tell you what. Like so many of our volunteers here at Dorisville, they're not paid. The one guy with the beard is, um, but the rest of them here, they show up for practice on Wednesday nights. They come to both services, and they just, we're just blessed. If you don't believe me, go to another church and see what they got to offer. And you're going to find out how blessed we are for the praise team that we've got. Incredible. So thankful for our students, guys, here. Um, so appreciate they They could have stayed home. They could have slept in or whatever. Uh, but they came just like you could have stayed home. And you chose to come also. And then my final blessing of the day. So I'm listening to the video. And I'm realizing what I'm hearing is not the video. It's you singing. And I love that. I love that song, Days of Elijah, because these really are the days of Elijah, days of great trials, uh, tribulation, apostasy um, in our nation. These are the days when we need to rise up and be Elijah's um, people willing to proclaim that God, the Lord God, is our God. Well, today's message is entitled Young Faith, Young Faith. And listen to me now. This is one of those times you need to get your smart device out. You need to open it up, go to more, and, and then go to events. Click on that, okay, and then hit save because this is the kind of message that if you don't need it now, you're going to need it later. I'll just guarantee you we're going to talk about our faith in hard times. You know, we've all seen, you remember some of y'all, some of y'all weren't alive, but some of you were the flood of 93. And I think it was a flood of 08 also uh, where, where the water comes and it breaks through the levees. And, and you know, when the, bre- when the when levees broke, all this flood water just came in and covered up sometimes homes and farms and farm fields. It's really quite the tragedy. Now, here's my question. What do we do? What do we do when the levees of our life break and all this flood of fear and confusion and anger comes pouring through the levee? What do we, what do, we do when it seems like God's just not quite up to par? What do we do when we think God could and he doesn't? What do we do when God thinks, we think God would, and he doesn't. When God should, and he doesn't. And we all have these times, and depending on our faith is the impact of those times. So today we want to talk about uh, the widow lady and her young faith. Probably a good word would be our uh, immature faith. You see, faith is something that, that doesn't depend on time, you know, All things equal, all things equal. When we're born, we're this big, and eventually we're going to get bigger. All things equal, that's going to happen. Uh, All things equal, we're going to be, you know, we're going to weigh more. We're going to look differently. We're going to look more mature. But see, our faith is not that way. You know, we think sometimes that just like our, our physical growth is chronological, so is our faith growth, and it's not. We we feel like sometimes that if I come to church, okay, then I'm going to grow in my faith. But we know and we've learned and we taught that's just not necessarily true. You've got to do something with what you've got here and apply that for your faith to grow. So we want to talk about our friend today. 
the widow lady and Elijah and, and what happens next in their saga and their story. Now, we can keep doing this because it takes too much time, but I think we can do it at least one more time this week. You know, you remember we had this guy named Elijah whose name means the Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. Elijah means exactly that. So we have him showing up, you know, out of nowhere, okay? He shows up and declares war on this evil king and his wife, Ahab and Jezebel, who are leading the country in super apostasy and worship of of Baal. And basically, Elijah says this, here's the deal. The Lord God says, it is not going to have rain or dew all these years until I say so. And it wasn't him saying, I so say so. It was God saying, I said so. And so then he declares war, and you expect to be an epic battle, and it wasn't there. God sends him off to remember a place called Cherith. Uh, Brent mentioned it in, in the opening comments. A place where God whittles on us, cuts on us. The name Cherith means to cut off or cut on. And God put Elijah there to whittle on him and prepare him for what was coming up. And God has cherished for us too, a lot of times. And God whittles on us and cuts off the things that doesn't look like Jesus. Now, somewhere along the path, you should write that down. Because you're going to say, you're going to pray this prayer. God, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm making you like Jesus. And you need to know that and you need to remember that. So, so that happened at Cherith, and then finally it was time for stage two and, and time for him to move on and influence someone else. So he leaves Cherith and goes to Zarephath, and we kind of chuckled because Zarephath is Jezebel's hometown, you know, right in her backyard. And what a pl- crazy place for God to send Elijah, but it wasn't crazy because, well, God is God. And there was someone there who needed his influence, his discipleship, and his evangelism evangelism, and that was, of course, the widow at Zarephath. So Elijah shows up at the gate. There's the widow lady. Hey, make me a loaf of bread. Ain't got no bread. In fact, all I've got is a little bit of meal and a bit of oil. We're going to cook that sucker up. We're going to eat it, and we're going to die. And Elijah said, no, wait, hang on. Go ahead and make that loaf of bread. (laughs) I want you to bring it to me. (laughs) And here's the deal. Here's why. Because, you know, God's told me, and God declares that, that if you'll be faithful and obedient, that, that, that jar of meal and that jug of oil, it's not going to ever run dry until this drought ends. So the widow incredibly believes that and does that. And guess what happens? All those days, all those days, she would go and there was the jug and there was the jar of meal. And, and guess what? She would eat, use so much of it out of the day before and she'd open up and there it was again. And she's starting to learn something. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. She learned over, over and over and over again. And so then what we're going to find out is, is that, see, there's something I wrote in the sermon last week and the week before and never made the cut. Well, I guess today is today because here's what we need to learn and understand, that God builds new faith on old faith. God builds new faith on old faith. And so now it's time for the widow lady to be stretched beyond going to the meal jar and saying, oh, yes, God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted, and it is hard, and it is challenging. And perhaps, perhaps that's, our, that's our first teaching point that we need to look at. You know, remember, remember to show a little grace. Because what's going to happen, you're going to see this widow lady who experienced God every day providing meal and oil. You're going to see her kind of like in God's face and in Elijah's face. Okay, but you've got to remember she has she has new faith. She has young faith. I mean, she knows. Listen, 
She knows, listen, one fixing to say it's important. She knows far more about Baal worship than Jehovah worship. See, so we've got to show her some grace. And guess what? We've got to show people grace. You know, somebody, somebody comes into faith in Jesus Christ. They're brand new at the faith. And the next week we see them down at the bar. And you, and you, go, you go, what are you doing? Don't you know? And they don't know. Like a young child, they have to grow in their faith. Cut them some slack. Help them to grow. Show them some, show them some grace. And so we need to be sure and show this lady some grace because she was new in her faith. And keep in mind, by the way, you know, immature faith can be years old. You may have been a Christian but never grown in your faith. And you may have immature faith and you've been coming to church for 40 years. Or you may have met Jesus last week. Regardless, we need to show grace one to another. That's huge. Second thing is this. All of us have been there. We've all had new faith. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Um, Jesus said in John chapter 3, looking at Nicodemus, don't you know, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. We've all had new faith. We all have, okay? But the problem is, is we tend to stay there sometimes. And that's what God is going to do. God is going to help this, this widow lady move past her newfound faith into deeper faith. And God wants to take you the same way. God wants to take you from your, your new faith, your immature faith, and help you to grow. God is not in the stagnant business. God is in the growth business business. And he wants to help you to grow. See, you're going to hear some things because some preacher somewhere in this crowd today, I'll guarantee you this large, and certainly on our Facebook crowd, there was some preacher who told you, just trust Jesus and you'll never be sick and, and you'll always have a job and your kids will not need braces. It's going to be a great life. And all of a sudden, you are not always well and you do lose your job and your kid does need braces. And you go, what's up with that? That's not what I signed up for. And mature faith will help us understand that's not what we signed up for. You know, being saved, being saved is not about going to heaven. Being saved is the fact that you're a sinner against a holy God. And God loved you so much, he wants to forgive your sins. That's what salvation's about. Oh, heaven's, heaven's thrown in. Eternal life is thrown in. But it's all about this magnificently holy God saying, I'm willing to forgive your sin no matter how bad they are. You know, the, the, the payment for sin is death. We're going to hear about that. You know, and I sent my son to die on a Roman cross so you could be forgiven. That's what it's all about. It's not about religion. It's not about church. It's not about habits. It's not about rules. It's about you and God in relationship. It's amazingly, amazingly incredible. So here's the deal. Yes, we've all been there, but we should not stay there. We need to grow in our faith. That's what, You want to know why you ought to come to church? It helps you grow in your faith. It helps you grow in your faith. You know why you have a quiet time? It helps you grow in your faith. You know why you have an accountability partner? It helps you grow in your faith. You know, John Carr talked about having friends, Christian friends, and that's such a big part. They help you grow um, in your faith. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians, all plays right smack dab in the middle of the love chapter, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, he says this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Well, of course. 
You know, you expect that. You expect that, okay? So when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Hey, I even thought like a child. I, I reasoned things out like a child. But look what he says. Logically, when I became a man, I put aside childish things. That's, he's talking physically, but he is talking spiritually, okay? So, so when we're born again, you know, like Jesus said in John chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where Paul said we're a new creation. Okay, okay, we've got childlike faith, okay? But God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow. And now listen, listen, as we grow, it's time to put away childish things. The reason there's so much junk in the church is because too often we act childish. It's time to put it down. There's a world out there who desperately needs Jesus Christ. But until we're willing to become men and women of faith and put away this childish stuff, we are not going to gain their trust and their right to their audience. We have got to become men, women of faith. And again, hey guys, it's not a chronological thing. It's a, it's a it's growth thing spiritually, okay? In other words, you can be spiritual giants and be 12, okay? It does not, it does not depend on a chronological thing. Now, the last thing before we jump into the scripture is I want to reassert what this lady was doing. You know, she was enrolled in the school of bread, the school of bread. So, so every day, again, uh, that she ate from the bread God provided, okay, so, so there was the meal and there was the oil. And every day she was learning, okay, that God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. There's a reason why God gave them. I mean, I mean, she could have had the sunbeam bread man come by or the bunny bread man come by and drop off a loaf of bread every day. But there's a reason. She had to believe that God was going to do what he said. So she opened the jar and opened the jug, and there was the oil, and there was the meal, and she made the bread. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. She had to learn that over and over and over again. Now look at me. We need to learn that too. And I know what you, I know, I know, see, I know. You're going, Dwayne, if, if I open my pantry every day and there was a new supply of groceries, you know, no Walmart pickup order, no shopping at Kroger's, no going to Aldi's. Every day I just open the door and the groceries are there. I'd be glad to say God is good and God is faithful and God can be trusted. Uh, did you know he does that? See, see, what if we learned, what if we understood that every bite of food we take makes us the widow lady. I mean, come on. The, the, the bread, every bite, comes from God. We experience this every day. You know, Jean and I have picked up a, a new habit when we pray and we go out and eat particularly, though it happens at home too, but when we go to, to a restaurant and, you know, and we say, God, thank you for this food. And seriously, now... This happens regularly. And so now we've added on to that and we say, God, thank you for this food, but thank you I've got money to buy this food. See, because we're learning that everything comes from God. And so so look at me. So, so you're here today, and when you have lunch today, just remember this, you have that bite because God gave it to you. See, see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I can't do this very well, but I'll try and do it. You know, we, we thank God for the food. Then we thank God for the money to pay for the food. And then we thank God that we have a job to make money to pay for the food. 
Then we thank God that we have the health to have the job, to make the money, to pay for the food. Then you might as well go one more step further, that we live in this country where we have the health care, that we can have the job so that we can make the money and buy the food. Look at me. This is what God does. Don't sit there and say, I, I do this. No, you don't. I love these songs that David has a scene now where even the air, look, you're breathing God's air. You're not breathing your air. You didn't create that air. That air is not around you by your doing. You are breathing God's air. So be grateful and be thankful. Be thankful and be grateful for what God has given you. The school of bread. Now, we're ready to jump into Scripture. Now, again, you're going to have to cut her some slack. You're going to have to cut her some slack. She just trusted Jesus not too long ago. Okay? You've been a Christian a long time. You may think you have mature faith. You've got to cut her some slack. Well, verse 17 says this. Sometime later, we, we don't know. We know that, that she was in this situation for three years because the drought lasted three years. And so she stayed, Elijah stayed with her and God just kept doing this meal and, meal and oil thing, meal and oil thing over and over again for, for at least three years. But we don't know how far in it is. But meanwhile, the woman's son became sick. Now, now what is God doing? Okay, God is building new faith on old faith. If I had time, and I know I don't, um, but if we had time, we would go tell the story of Lazarus. What was Lazarus all about? Why did Jesus allow his good friend Lazarus to die? Because the ladies were going to be satisfied with a healing when God wanted to do a resurrection. See, see, this is all about growing this lady's faith. You know, she, she would have said, well, I'd never want him to get sick. But if he'd never gotten sick, she and Elijah would have never experienced the first resurrection in the Bible. The first resurrection in the Bible. How incredible is that? He grew worse and worse. And finally, he died. He died. How difficult is that? So our teaching point says this. You know, young faith... Immature faith or mature faith. It just doesn't matter no matter how you spin it. It's hard. Now look at me. You are going to experience hard things in life. Okay? When you get to heaven, it is a great deal. But right now, Jesus follower or not, you're going to experience hard things. When you trust Jesus, you have the privilege of walking through those hard things with him, but you're still going to have hard things, no matter how you spin it. You know, you know I don't think we reach a point you know, where, where we're so mature in our faith, it's not hard. I think it's always hard. And, and we need to understand that, because we do want to spin it. It's so, it's so tempting on these situations to put a little Jesus cliche in place. You know, if there's ever a place we need to be careful what we say, it's at the casket. I, I don't have time to explain it, but, but I ask God to really help me in this area because it's so easy as a pastor to throw a cliche. Well, you know, he's in a better place. And he is. But, you know, sometimes at the casket, that may not be the right thing to say. Sometimes when you're standing there and, and there lies the body of a loved one, sometimes you just need to give him a hug. Sometimes you just need to say, I love you and I'm praying for you. And if they initiate some kind of a conversation, you do that. 
But be very careful. Don't, don't be guilty of putting a light spin on a hard situation. My mama died when I was 24 years old. And I hear sometimes people say, and, then, you know, and they're 65 and their mom's 95. And they say, yeah, it's so hard to get mom up. Like I will say, hard? You want to know hard? Hard is when you're 24 and your mom's dead. That's hard. But that would be wrong. It's hard when you give up mama, no matter how old she is. It's hard when your marriage goes south, no matter what it's like. It's hard when your parents go south. It's hard. Just remember, it's hard. Don't put a light spin on it. It's hard. But remember that. Now, this is, this is something you get before the hard time. Okay? You're sitting here today, and you're going, okay, I'm in pretty good condition. No bad doctor reports. My marriage is pretty solid. You know, my parents are doing pretty good. They're not being too jerkish, okay? They're doing pretty good. We're all pretty good here, okay? Now's the time to remember this and learn this. Because there will be a hard time coming. You need to remember this right now. Remember the curse of sin is the cause. This whole messed up thing was not God's idea. He created a perfect world with perfect people who would have lived in perfect harmony for all perfect eternity. But we messed it up. And the curse of sin is the cause, not God. Not God. And the cross is the cure. They may not want to hear that casket, and you may not want to hear that when you're in the midst of your trouble, but this is God's cure. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the boy dies, and she's in a difficult place. Look at verse 18a. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, write this down. What have you done to me. See, remember, she knows more about Baal worship than Jehovah worship. She knows more about how the false god Baal works than Jehovah works. And the false god Baal is like, not your buddy, not your friend. You do something wrong and I'll zap you. And that's the theology that she brings. That's the, that's the worldview she brings in because that's all she knows. She don't know all this stuff about grace. So she's messed up. And her first thought is, oh man of God, what have you done to me? And some of you sitting here today have got the mixed up theology that that's what God likes to do. God likes to do things to you. You mess up, He does things to you. You sin, He does things to you. You miss church, He does things to you. You don't pay a tithe, He does things to you. And that is wrong, 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 wrong. Look at our teaching point. Know this. Satan does to you and God does for you. Now write that down. And no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your friends, no matter what you hear on TV, no matter what culture says, believe, if you're a Christ follower, believe this. Notice, Satan does to you. But God is for you. If God is for us, Paul wrote, who can be against us? This is where Romans 8.28 is a great application. All things work together for good, for good. They're not good. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. God is for us. Satan does to us. 
I got a couple of illustrations. Um, I, I, it's kind of catchy. I try to be cool every once in a while, you know, try to be cool. And this 2v4 stands for 2 versus 4. 2 versus 4. We spelled out the T-W-O versus F-O-U-R. 2 versus 4. Here's the first one. You know, for the wages of sin is death. That's what Satan does to you. You know, he, he convinced Eve to sin. Okay, sin came into the world. Okay, so, so sin now has infected and, and, and impacted the world in this terrible way that we know today. And because of, because of that, the wages of sin is death. That's what he did to us. You know, you know, whatever sin touches, it wounds and kills. Now, Satan won't tell you, trust me, Satan won't tell you, Satan will tell you how good it feels, Satan will tell you how much fun it's going to be, Satan will tell you no one will ever find out, you know, because he wants you to do that, because he knows whatever sin touches kills and wounds. Satan does to you, but look what God does. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See the word, so for the wages, but look at the gift. Satan does this to you, the payment for sin is death, it's a fact, but God does for you and says, I want to give you a gift. And that gift is eternal life. Not if you keep the rules, not if you come to church, not if you're a certain denomination, if you'll believe in my son Jesus and believe by faith and follow him, that I won't be for you and give you eternal life. Isn't that great? Isn't it great? Write that down. Write that down. Because see, Satan's going to come whispering in your ear and say, you know, if you'll follow me, I will, I will give you this. He's not trying to give you anything. He's trying to do something to you. God is the one who does for. The second one is, um, I'm going to go on the right page, probably. Um, second, uh, John 10.10. 10. I'm sorry, excuse me. John 10.10. 10. You know, again, two verses four. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? That's what he wants to do to you. He wants to steal your joy, your character, your integrity, all those things. He wants, to, he wants to kill your marriage. He wants to kill your family. You know, he wants you to, he wants to, hey kids, students, he wants to destroy the relationship you have with your parents. He wants to see your parents as the enemy and not your friends. He wants, he wants all of that. He comes to steal and to kill and ultimately destroy, okay? What, what does Jesus do? Jesus is for he said, listen, I didn't come to do to you, I did it for you. I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. See the difference? So write that down. When the widow lady said, you know, why did you do this to me? She was speaking from a false perspective, a bail perspective. Be sure you had the right perspective. You serve a wonderful, loving God who genuinely cares for you. Why did you do this to me. Um, she, and again, let's, let's do that. Let's get that teaching point again. I want to do it one more time. There. Notice, can you go back to that teaching point, Nancy? Yeah, know this, Satan does to you and God does for you. I hope you wrote that down and get that in your mind, okay? So, then she says, then she says in verse 18b, you know, have you come here have you, now remember, this is after Elijah saves her life through God, meal and bread. But keep in mind, she knows more about Baal than she does Jehovah, okay? Have you come here, because this is what Baal worship would do, have you come here to point out my sins and to kill my son? Don't be too harsh on her. That's just how it seemed. You probably thought the same thing before, haven't you? 
when God didn't could have and should have and would have and didn't all didn't do all three? It's pretty difficult. You know, did you come here to point out my sins and then and then to kill my son? Let's go to our teaching point. In her young faith, she wrongly assumed that her son died as punishment for her sin. Look at me. I've done this all my life. If something goes wrong in my life, particularly if I've done something stupid and sinned, and then something bad happens, oh, God got me. Oh, God got me. I'm not by myself. You're, you're in this room, you're on Facebook, you're listening on the radio. You well, That's exactly how it seems. And that's how she did, because again, she's coming with some bad theology. She just assumed, she's coming with her bail theology in her face. She only assumed their son died as punishment at the hand of a vengeful, uncaring God. Now look at me. You do not serve a vengeful God. Now vengeance is mine. I will pay, says the Lord, when he's talking about enemies and sin. But you, once you trust Christ as Savior, he's not a vengeful God. He's a loving God. He's not an uncaring God. He's a care. Do you believe that today? Would you dare? Would you dare step out in faith and believe that? Would you dare step out in faith and believe that? Because I tell you why. That's going to change your whole approach to God. When you understand He's this wonderful, loving Father. I love this. It's Isaiah forty-nine, fourteen. And I excuse the small print, but I had to get it small to get on the screen. You know, the setup is is Israel's been in captivity way too long. And they've reached that point, like some of us do. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. They've been in captivity all this time. And their mentality, their theology has become, God has deserted us. You ever feel like God deserted you? Come on, be honest. Ever felt like God deserted us? He didn't. He won't. He can't. Do you ever feel like God has forgotten us? God, God, it just seems like you're not there anymore. Have you forgotten me? He hasn't. He can't. He won't. And here's, listen to God's response. Verse 15, never. In Romans 6.15, it's where Paul writes and says, Should we then sin that grace may more abound? God forbid. It's that kind of an impact statement. God says, never. Never will I forget you. Never will I desert you. Would you believe that today? No matter how difficult... Would you dare step out in faith today and mature faith and say, God, I don't understand and God, it hurts and God, I wish you hadn't, but God, I want you to know something. I believe today you will never forget me. God, I believe today you will never desert me. Can a mother forget her nursing child? And today you kind of go, well, yeah. But back then that would have been an impossibility. Uh, can she feel no love for the child she has born? Well, God says, well, listen, even if that were possible, I want you to know something. Even if that were possible, I want you to know something. 
I would not forget you. Look at me. God will not forget you. God will not desert you. And look at this. See, verse 16, I have written you your name on the palms of my hands. Now this is, again, the setup is God speaking to Israel, but, but it's also God speaking to us. The word there, the word written, and some of your translations have it, is the word engraved. Engraved. It literally means to cut into. God is saying, see, I can't forget you because I've cut into. I've cut into the palm of my hands and written your names. I can't forget you. And as sweet and precious as that is, what a beautiful picture is I'm drawn once again to here. When I, when I think of the Christ, and I think of the nails, hands and feet, and crown of thorns, and the slit in his side, and I think about those nails were there. And we have every indication. In fact, we know so because after Jesus was resurrected and Thomas said, I won't believe until I put my finger into the print in his hands. And then after the resurrection, Jesus says, come here, Thomas, put it in there, baby. The scars of the cross forever will declare into eternity that I love you. And I can never forget you. And I won't desert you. How precious is that? So as we go through this crazy world, Barbara, when everything's upside down, when we seem like it's a world gone mad, you just remember something. God will never desert. And God will never forget. He's got this. Amen? He's got this. This. So in verse 19, the rest of this goes pretty fast. In 19, it's almost anticlimactic. But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, from her mother's arms, and carried him upstairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on the bed. And, and he has no clue what to do. He does not have a plan. He just... He just knew that that couldn't be the end. The, the dead boy in his mother's arms and him, her saying, what have you done to me? Did you come to point out my sin and punish me by killing my son? He just knew that couldn't be the end. So he takes this body upstairs. And my teaching point, I could just imagine this happening. You know, okay, God, I don't have a clue, so what are we going to do about this? Don't you feel sometimes in the world it's like that? God, what are we going to do about this? What do you got planned for this? I love this. Only one thing was certain. It wasn't we. Amen? It wasn't we. We can't fix the world. We can't fix this crazy culture. 
It's not we, it's God. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, listen, well, this is good. Good, big, big time, big time, big time, big time. Okay, this is big. It's not us, it's him. It's not us, it's him. This broken culture will not be fixed by our means or by our ballot. It will be fixed by God Almighty. It's his. It was God and God alone. And it rested with faith and prayer. So Elijah prays. He prays two magnificent prayers. Verse 20. So Elijah cries out to the Lord. Oh Lord, my God. (laughs) Exactly what Elijah means. The Lord is my God. Oh Lord, my God. Why have... Now what? This is... This I'll encourage you. Why have you brought tragedy? Why have you brought tragedy? Why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me? That's a bold prayer. You say, well, I could, I could never pray that because I might hurt God's feelings. He's big enough. He, you know what God... There's a couple things God desires from our prayers. And one is, can we be honest with him? When we're hurting, can we just say, God, we're hurting? And can we be like the man whose son was laying there convulsing on the ground and and Jesus said, all things are possible if you believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I want to believe you in this culture. I want to believe you that in this time when my marriage is falling apart. I I want to believe you when my parents are mistreating me. I, I want to believe when I don't have a job, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Oh, Lord, my God, why have you done, brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing or allowing her son to die? It's Lazarus. Didn't you wrestle with that with the Lazarus story? How could Jesus say, you know, it was for your sakes that Lazarus died? What? Because God had something bigger than the healing. He had a resurrection. And as big as the oil and the meal was, this resurrection thing was going to be bigger than that. And Elijah and the lady needed her faith to grow, to grow. So our teaching point says this. It's not, a, it's not an accusation. It's not a state of aggravation. It's simply a cry saying, God, I need you to prove that you're God. Whatever that means, whatever that means, I just need for you to prove that you're God. Now, I said this, verse 21 is huge. Okay? If you don't write this down, you're going to be sorry you didn't. Okay? So he stretched himself out over the child three times. Now, we're not sure why. Can we be honest? Okay? Um, there was some tradition that you could transfer life to a dead body by laying on it. So that's a possibility. And that's not what's not big. It's what he does. He lays down on the body three times and he cries out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God. Please let this child's life return to him. Now look at me. You know why it's such a big deal? That's a prayer that's never been prayed up to now in the entire Bible. Nowhere in the Bible has a prophet or person prayed and said, God, bring this person back to life. Don't be afraid to pray big prayers. Don't be afraid to pray. Now listen, here's the deal. We think, we think, we think in our current culture that if we pray a prayer like that, that if God doesn't answer the prayer that way, then somehow he failed or we failed. 
No, just wasn't his will. And in this case, the story turns out great. But don't be afraid to pray big prayers. There's no bigger prayer up to now. Lord, raise this child back to life. You go back all the time before, and it's never happened before. Would you be willing to pray prayers that are so big that God's never done it before? Would, would you be willing to pray prayers big enough for God to bring revival upon the sickened culture? Would, would you be big enough to pray for God to do mighty works around the world? Amen? Don't be afraid to pray those prayers. You say, well, what if it doesn't happen? That's on God. It means it wasn't His will. It's not you. It's not you. Well, the Bible says, in verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, when we start delighting ourselves in God, our prayer lives can become vastly more powerful because all of a sudden we start praying in the heart and will of God. That's what happens here. So the Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. You know what's so big about that? Never happened before. Nobody in the Bible up to this point has been resurrected from the dead. Elijah prayed a prayer like no one had ever had the courage to pray before. And Elijah saw a miracle that the entire world had never seen before. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, guys, I don't know what God wants to do. I don't know what God wants to do, but I know this. He can do it. Whatever it is within his will and his scope, he can do it. Well... The child revives. And then we'll go right down to verse number 24 and close this thing up, you know. Then Elijah, then, then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Graduation. Graduation. See, the woman's faith was strengthened. I promise you this. Because she went through the hardest thing possible, the death of her child, and saw God do this miracle, her faith was more mature than it was than at the start of the story. Amen. That's what it's all about. Look, look, that's what God wants to do. He wants to grow you to be like Jesus. Okay? He wants to grow you to be like Jesus. So her faith was strengthened. Number two, Elijah's faith was strengthened. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine how giddy he was? You know, he's up there with the body and Lord, please do this. And whoop, he starts breathing again. Ooh, hello. How'd you like to have been Santa Claus that morning and carry the gift downstairs? Hey, here's your son. He's alive now. Wow. How about that? How about that? Now, here's the deal. Elijah learned that even when he was forced to pray impossible prayers that God heard, why is that important? Because in a little while, he's going, to pay, he's going to face Ahab and 450 prophets of Baal. And yeah, come on with it, honey. Come on with it. He comes now with the, he comes now with the knowledge that his God can do anything. His God can do anything. Will we believe that? It doesn't matter it's written 2,500, 3,000 years ago. It doesn't matter. God hasn't changed. 
God hasn't changed. He hasn't gone out of the miracle business. He hasn't gone out of the, out of the God business. He, ain't, he hasn't gone out of the defeat and evil business. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. We just need to be Elijah. We need to be willing to pray prayers that seem impossible. The third thing is this. Actually, it's the first thing. God was glorified. See, our prayer life is not about getting what we want. It's God being glorified. It's God being glorified. And all this, all this happened so that the widow lady could, could grow in her faith, that God could be glorified and Elijah's faith could be strengthened. And it wouldn't have happened if the hard thing hadn't happened. So I know, again, not, no cliches. No cliches. But the truth is, we've got to trust God and He knows what He's doing. And, and if it's a difficult thing in your life, we got the promise, if you're a, a Jesus follower, you've got the promise that somehow He's going to bring good out of that. I want you to hear that now before you go into the hard time. Because in the hard time, it would be more difficult for you to hear it. I want you to know it now. That all things do work together for good. And, and if... What if this story, Maggie, what if this story didn't turn out like that? What if the boy didn't come back to life? We still believe that he's still God. Because again, keep in mind, we don't see all the answers all the time. Sometimes we just have to trust. And maybe trusting right into eternity. We don't know. But can I tell you what we do know? Say it with me. God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. He can. Would you pray with me, please? Boy, thanks for listening today. I really appreciate your attention. I want want so much for us to learn this. Because, man, I've seen a lot of broken hearts over the years. A lot of broken hearts. And it's never easy, is it? Remember, we talked about that. It's hard. It's hard. No matter how you spin it, it's hard. But God is good. God is faithful. And God can be trusted. This is our decision time. And uh, it's a chance for you to act on what you heard today. Um, it might be that you want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now or you see a train wreck coming and you just want to talk to God about it. And don't be afraid to pray a big prayer. You know, Jesus prayed a big prayer in the garden. It didn't come out like he wanted. He prayed for his way for this cup to pass, let it pass. That was a big prayer. But then he said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's, that's crucial. That's key. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you, and we've got some friends who'd glad to do that. Make some friends with you. Bring some friends with you. Maybe it's a prayer of gratitude for something God did for you this week. Whatever it is, the altar's open. Our friend Brent's waiting. We would love to tell you more about Jesus and how, yes, the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'd love to tell you about that. Anything we can do to help you on your Jesus journey today or your journey to Jesus today is what this time's about. Father, thank you very much for your love and mercy and grace. Thanks for being a God who never forgets, who never abandons. I pray this, Lord, in your special name. Amen.